Good morning. It's Monday, the 24th of July, and I'm Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital and still rained out city. Our top stories and themes, and there are lots of them. India's results season picks up steam, banks are beating estimates, IT companies are falling behind. Ambani revs up in finance, and Adani gets ready to exit it. Household prices of food are rising steadily across the country, and this is worrying. What should we do next? With Siraj Hussain, former Agriculture Secretary of the Government of India. What to eat when you're on the road with Dr. Nandita Ayer. This is a core report with Govindraj Atiraj. Banks are hitting it out of the park and IT companies are pausing and so are markets. Before I come to banks and everything else, I hardly need to remind you that we took a welcome breather from the market's consistent rise till last Friday, that is, when the indices cracked a little, partly triggered by a revelation from Infosys, the technical term being guidance, that it would not report a strong growth for the rest of the year and a sudden realization, for the markets at least, that the earnings might not remain as strong as we thought across companies, that is, something we discussed as recently as Thursday last. On Friday, both the Sensex and Nifty reported their biggest single-day fall in four months, with the Sensex dropping 888 points to 66,684, and the Nifty 50 falling 234 points to close at 19,745. Of course, everyone, including us at the core report, has been talking about a slowdown in the Eurozone and North America, which was likely to impact top lines for Indian IT companies, to focus on them for a moment. Possibly, the markets were hoping against hope, and some writers in the media even used words like bombshell and rude shock for the Infosys guidance. Terms you would usually use in context I would not rather get into on a business and financial news show. Anyway, the reason the markets are shocked and awed was because apparently the guidance level was even lower than what was expected. Or, the bulls were stretched and the bears were waiting to get in. So now Infosys says it will grow only 1 to 3.5% in revenue for the whole year as opposed to 3 to 7% that was expected. And this is despite some large deals coming in, like a large $2.3 billion one. I did read about this deal and somehow was wondering if the announcement created an imperfect expectation in the minds of media and markets. After all, Infosys does not communicate every deal that it wins, as don't other IT companies, Because quite simply, many clients who do large outsourcing contracts just don't want their names to appear. So nothing wrong with a company taking pride in a big deal, a multi-billion dollar one. But that, I would guess, depends on someone sitting and adding up all these other deals that the company is scoring or continuing with and then forming an opinion that will result in a stock market buy or sell. For example, the Infosys management itself attributed the cut in guidance to delayed decision-making and an uncertain environment compounded by postponement of discretionary spends. It's quite likely that the stuff that is recurring annually or even an outcome of scattered discretionary spending, I'm talking about deals, is more valuable than the one-off multi-billion dollar one. On the other hand, if these somewhat predictable discretionary spending deals are not coming or other longer-term deals are not renewing, then the one-off will not make up, which seems to be the case here. But all of this is not visible on a continuous basis, of course, being my argument here. I once asked Mohandas Pai, CFO of Infosys then, why he insisted or they insisted on giving guidances when most companies, including in IT and including their peers, actually did not and still do not. 
he said something to the effect of a tradition they had created and the investor-friendly nature of it all. In general, of course, Infosys has led the markets in governance, to their credit, and then some razzle-dazzle song-and-dance investor shows every quarter beamed live from specially built studios in their Bangalore Electronic City headquarters. By the way, TCS, the largest IT company in India, is seen to have done better in the same quarter, and the other two biggies, Wipro and HCL, also did fine. But they did not and do not give guidances. And as market analyst Avinash Gorakshakar, head of research at Profit Mark Securities, says, Infosys guidance has affected the stock price of all companies and that they could remain under pressure for a while. So I'm guessing the CEOs of the other three companies are either thanking Infosys for saying what they may have but did not or cannot or cursing it for messing with their stock prices too. Now, while Infosys surprised the quarter, or root shock as someone said, on the downside, banks did exceedingly well. Before I come to some common threads which are useful to understand the state of the economy also, a recap of the results. ICICI Bank posted a 40% year-on-year growth in net profits, up 9,648 crore from 6,905 crore. This figure of 9,648 crore is profits for the quarter or three months just to put it out there. This figure was also higher than analyst estimates, possibly due to some other income that may have crept in. Net interest income or core income rose 38% year-on-year to 18,226 crores. Other income, like I said, was high and up 16.5%. However, the bank's asset quality improved with its non-performing asset ratio improving and net non-performing asset ratio remaining flat. ICICI's retail loan portfolio, including, I'm assuming, mortgages to people like you and me, grew by about 22% year-on-year and 4.5% sequentially and comprised 54% of the total loan portfolio. The small and medium enterprise business, comprising borrowers with a turnover of less than 250 crores, grew by around 28% from a year ago, which might give you some indication, though a limited one, of how small and medium enterprises are doing right now and surely borrowing capital and possibly to grow their businesses. The rural portfolio grew by about 17.6%, ICICI said. Kotak Bank, whose headquarters is a short walk and around the corner from ICICI Bank in Mumbai's financial hub Bandra Kurla complex, reported a 51% year-on-year rise in consolidated profits at around 4,150 crore for the same first quarter. Its net profit on a standalone basis rose almost 67% to about 3,452 crore, beating analysts' expectation of a 53% growth at about 3,182 crore. Now, there may be some other income that's crept in or different kinds of income, but let's keep that aside for now. Kodak's gross non-performing assets to decline to about 1.75% from the last year. Average term deposits were up 40%, though savings deposits were down marginally, something that we've spoken of thematically earlier. Now, these were big banks. Even a smaller bank like Thirusur-based South India Bank recorded a 75% growth in net profits for the quarter ended June 30th on higher interest income. Net interest income was up 34% for the latest quarter. So the common thread now, it seems to me, is that business is growing, margins are improving despite being in a high interest rate environment, which may have increased the cost of deposits, but has also seen higher yields on advances and loans out. So overall, banks are doing well in a manner that should make many people happy, including the government, for whom a big concern is always a rerun of the previous decade and bank finances collapsing. So if one were to interpret this in the context of economic climate and small businesses, then things are clearly looking stable, if not better. 
and then some disappointments. Reliance Industries reported a roughly 11% dip in net profits for the June quarter because of weaker profits in its oil to chemicals or O2C business as it calls it. The profitability came from telecom and retail as well as some other income. Its overall revenue, and I'm talking about Reliance Industries, has been slipping over the last year from 218,855 crore for last year's quarter to 207,559 crore this year. It's all big numbers, nevertheless. Net profits, despite falling, still stood at 16,011 crores. Geopolitics could be one reason. The last year was good, according to the company, because of what it called dislocations in the energy markets, driving margins to all-time highs. Reliance Retail, who we've spoken of earlier, saw its net profits go up 19% to 2,448 crores. And Geo Platforms, which runs Reliance Geo, the telecom network, saw its profit rise around 12.5% to 5,098 crores. Speaking about Reliance, we spoke on Friday on how Geo Financial, a just spun-off entity of Reliance Industries with almost no revenue, was priced at $20 billion in market value in a discovery session. The company is yet to start proper operations and the stock will mostly list next month. But as I found in my conversation with market veteran Devin Choksi, who's betting big on Geo Financial, grabbing a big share of future growth in retail financial services. Interestingly, around the same time as Ambani revved up in finance with a blockbuster market debut I just referred to, reports emerged that Adani Group might exit finance, at least for now. The Adanis are looking to sell a 90% of its stake in Adani Capital, the finance arm to Bain Capital, for around $180 million, reports said. Bloomberg News earlier reported that a potential sale of Adani Capital can help cut liabilities on the conglomerate's balance sheet as it focuses on its infrastructure development business. So largely, Adani and Ambani are mostly, except for renewables, operating in different verticals or spaces. Bain and Carlyle Group are amongst potential bidders for a controlling stake in this company. That's the finance company Bloomberg News reported earlier this month. Adani Capital started in 2017 and has more than 160 branches across India, according to its website. I talked about falling stock markets at the fag end of last week and the crack that happened. The figure that is rising or growing, if you're looking for some brighter news, is India's forex reserves, now at about $609 billion and nearing a 16-month high. The reason is obviously dollars and lots of it flowing into Indian markets, particularly secondary markets, and that at a pace not seen in a while. So the rupee is still around 81.96, so it's not going anywhere up right now, but it seems stable with some strength as opposed to looking like it might collapse any moment as it perhaps did some time ago. Speaking of strong forex reserves and all things to feel good about, Columnist TN Nainan of Business Standard points out in an interesting piece called Missing the Real Achievements that India is no more the fastest growing large economy in the world. He says that Saudi Arabia and Vietnam are both ahead at 8% plus. Nor is India the prime beneficiary of China plus one, he says. Vietnam is. His larger point is that India's biggest strengths, which have to be capitalized upon, are, like I mentioned just a little while ago, forest reserves, and thus the external front, and a stable currency. The significance of these systemic changes over the decades, CST and Nainan, is that the economy and currency are more stable and therefore possibly the politics too. Food inflation and where is it going? Food prices are rising sharply and households across India are feeling the pinch whether you see or don't see much discussion on it. And it's not just tomatoes which obviously has been making headlines. Pulses and cereals are seeing inflation levels not seen before or in a while. 
pulses include the dals which are a staple of most households and cereals which include wheat and rice. India's retail or consumer price inflation rose for the first time in 5 months to about 4.8% in June 2023 that's last month. Last June by the way which is the year before it was at 7%. One reason why it went up was because of a surge in vegetable prices. In the core report we've been touching on this theme and the rising prices of pulses like urad dal or tur dal which saw an inflation of 10.5% by the way and cereals which were up almost 12.7% in the same computation of the inflation basket. One reason inflation is not shooting up further is edible oil prices which were down 18% in the same period and thus providing some relief. Regular listeners may recall my conversation with Atul Chaturvedi of the Asian Palm Oil Alliance on this subject last week and his projections on edible oils. So very broadly, food prices are driving up inflation. They included pulses which I just mentioned and cereals and of course many vegetables including tomatoes. So I caught up with Siraj Hussain, former agriculture secretary to the government of India and now advisor to FICCI and present on many boards of companies and began by asking him what he was seeing. and what could the government do in this situation what has happened is that this year was the second consecutive year of untimely weather conditions in march first when february and march when when the temperature was rather too high and then untimely rains in april so i think that has affected the wheat crop and the government estimate of about 113 million tons should be on the upper side the trade estimates are anywhere between 100 and 106 million tons if that was not enough the expectation of rice crop has also been affected due to el nino which everybody feared will result in lower rainfall but we have seen excessive rainfalls in the most productive regions of india in punjab haryana and other parts in north india right and i mean i know that this is the number we have but do these numbers reflect in your mind what is actually going on on ground i mean is this reflective of what people are actually facing in terms of what they are paying for uh, cereals or pulses when they're buying it actually people are facing an even worse condition because what is happening is that the all india figures conceal the happenings on the ground in food deficit states even the editors of various portals have been calling me and telling me that you know the vegetable prices are too high and i think everybody is feeling the heat and the bad news is that going forward we may not see any substantial reduction in inflation unless the monsoon now onwards comes out to be the normal or near normal So when you say food deficit so you, you're saying that therefore if i was living in some parts of india the price that i would be paying today would be much higher than what it would be in other parts of the country for let's say cereals or pulses again yes that is true for example the wheat prices if you take wheat or wheat flour prices in south india bangalore for example they are higher by about 15 to 20% as compared to what we pay in up or punjab so similarly in northeastern india most of these commodities go from other parts food surplus areas so the prices differ from state to state and even within a state sometimes the prices differ and what about the rate of inflation on this is that also moving equally i mean you talked about price differential but how would rate of inflation work in general across the country rate of inflation actually the department of economic affairs and other organizations which track the inflation data actually do not collect it in every week so it is not evenly spread out sometimes it is collected only in two weeks middle two weeks 
So inflation data may not fully reflect what is happening on the ground, but broadly, it does show you the level of stress as far as food items are concerned. Okay, so if we were to look ahead, what do you feel, uh, Mr. Siraj Hussain, where, where can the government now step in? I mean, uh, I mean, either tactically or strategically. I think the government has done a good job last year by imposing a restriction or imposing a ban on export of wheat, even though several other countries, including US, etc., had complained in WTO. And the, this decision yesterday of completely banning the export of uh, white rice, you know, India has about 38-39% share in rice global trade. So it will definitely have a very bad impact on um, rate of inflation in rice-consuming countries. So I think food inflation may continue to remain high, but a lot depends on how monsoon behaves between now and September. If the monsoon rains are evenly spread out, even now, we will not see much damage. So you've been uh, arguing that, you know, for instance, we need to work on other sources of protein, for example, soya bean. Does that play any role in this larger context? Oh, it does. It does because soya bean crop does not take much water. And for the vegetarian population in India, which has a substantial share in North Indian states of Haryana, Rajasthan, etc., you know, it could be a major source of protein. But pulses continue to remain a major source of protein for a vast majority of Indian population, including the non-vegetarian population. And as I have written in my article today in Money Control, the poor people shift from one pulse to another pulse. So if Tor is very pricey, they will move to Chana. But the middle classes, etc., find it very difficult to shift from one pulse to another pulse. So I think the middle classes will think they eat more. Right. And last question, uh, Mr. Hussain. So how, how are you seeing the next three to six months, at least uh, through the monsoon season, apart from the fact that at least in aggregate numbers, we would see a okay or a good monsoon. But otherwise, we are clearly seeing very high intensity at different points of time in different parts of the country. I think the good news is that the Indian farmers are very hardworking and they cannot afford to lose a crop. So even though in Punjab, uh, a lot of area was submerged, but the people are helping each other. Even if the government is not able to give them paddy from nurseries, you know, the farmers are helping each other. So I understand, I've, I was talking to somebody in Punjab this morning and I was told that transplantation will reach the normal level. In fact, the report suggests that area under Baswati may go up and Baswati exports will not see any restriction. So I think uh, we exported some 5 million tons of Baswati rice last year that may be a little higher this year. That's interesting. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Hussain, for joining me. Thanks. Speaking of food, although and admittedly in a different context, it's time to bring you up to speed on the CEO's diet penned by our columnist, Dr. Nandita Ayer. In her latest column, she speaks of how to eat when you're a regular traveler or a road warrior, as they say. Do read her column on our website, www.thecore.in. And now she joins me to give us a preview. See, I think in our present times, we have normalized traveling thousands of miles in a day. And we like eating, working on our flight, sleeping in the flight. But this does ultimately affect our health if it's happening on a very regular basis. The most obvious thing that we face is jet lag and Crossing multiple time zones in a short period of time disrupts our circadian rhythm, which is our uh, kind of a body clock, 
which regulates our sleep wake cycles but also other things like hormones digestion etc so it just takes a few days for our body to adjust to the new time zone but by then most likely business travelers are like going and just coming back so there is no time to adjust that's one thing second thing people tend to drink less water on flights this leads to a kind of a dehydration in the body and also when traveling outside of our regular environment we tend to even reach out for water less because it's just that maybe we don't have the access or it's not just on kept on our table or we're not carrying that bottle of water with us that's the second thing and you know like we saw during covid travel was the big reasons why people were catching the virus from different parts of the world during their travel so i think just being in close proximity with other travelers and touching surfaces in crowded places exposes us to this risk which is why even now after covid it's a good thing to wear a mask and sanitize hands when in these airplane and airports and crowded places then of course there's the practical issue of us getting disrupted our routines getting disrupted be it our eating habits or our regular gym or walk or whatever kind of movement that happens every day so i think these are all the different ways that our body and our routines can get disrupted with very frequent travel in flight food is nothing to write home about so if someone is into intermittent fasting then it's a great idea to just fast through that journey but just drinking water or you know keeping yourself hydrated but not really eating airline food uh, the other way is to pack some healthy snacks like you know nuts or a good trail mix kind of a thing where be it on the flight or be it on longer road trips or when you're just outside of your home and office environment these are good things to snack on but otherwise during the stay in a different place or when someone is going for meetings or conferences etc just planning out your day the way you plan out the meetings and the way you plan out your work it's also a good idea to plan out what you're going to be eating so you know going to the breakfast buffet with a plan that hey i'm going to focus on eating protein and whole foods or when you're going out for your team dinner looking up the restaurants menu online and it's all everything is online these days just looking it up and planning what you're going to eat choosing better snacking options when they're just laid out in front of you during these conferences and all that just having a plan and being more mindful about what you are eating is always going to be a better idea especially if you travel very often that's it from me have a great week ahead and do stay in touch and connected with us you can mail me as always with your feedback and any comments and criticism on govindraj at thecore.in or visit our website www.thecore.in and subscribe to our newsletter which will bring you all our business content with a major focus on the traditional economy it's bye for now This was the core report with me Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you. including our reporting on india's vibrant manufacturing sector write to us at feedback@thecore.in at thank you for listening